0: Said the night wind to the little land. Do you see what I see? Do you
1: see what I see?
0: Hello, friend.
1: You've got mail.
0: Well, hello, friend, and welcome to another episode of the Hello Friend podcast, ironically named, since we are in the last season. But Henry and I are here to talk about episode five of season four called Method Not Allowed. Hey, Henry, how are you?
1: Great, Margaret. Uh, It's been a nice week. Uh, The weather has been transitioning from summer, like an Indian summer, to actually quite chilly. and, you know, it's always interesting the first week after the shift back from daylight savings uh, to uh, uh, un, un, uh, unengineered time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And thanks to our listeners for your patience with us getting this next episode up. We've been traveling a lot. I know both of us have been out and about and. I'm here in New York and it, it's getting a lot colder and I even had a chance to walk through Grand Central Station the other day and I was thinking of poor Freddie Lomax so always have Mr. Robot on my mind. What did you think of this episode?
1: Uh, I like the episode. It, it, to me I enjoy more of the, the pacing and the style rather than the surreal dialogue heavy episodes. This one is, is more to my uh, style. I enjoyed it. Uh, what about you?
0: Yes, I really had to watch it twice to catch everything because it was such a massive hack going on. It was probably the most epic hack of the whole series. I liked that it lacked dialogue, except at the very beginning where Darlene said to Elliot, we don't have to talk in the end. It was pretty creepy, too, some of the scenes with Dominique dealing with that Janice character. But we did start off where we left off last week, where we saw the burning van with Mr. Robot and Elliot burning it. But did you notice there was no Tyrell to be found in the scene?
1: Yeah, not anything in the, and nothing in this episode uh, argued against the Tyrell being another persona hypothesis to me anyway i i was watching the episode with this idea in mind to kind of find evidence to disprove the Tyrrell persona hypothesis but i didn't find any
0: same here i mean i keep secretly hoping that tyrell is still quote unquote alive but the more i think about it i think that he was another persona of elliot and you know we did cut to a, a scene of darlene who was Looking for Elliot, she was using the signal hack that we discussed previously, and I love that they were playing Beethoven's Ode to Joy because you also incorporated Ode to Joy or or Beethoven in the music that you composed for this podcast, which I thought was kind of a nice irony.
1: And and the reason why there is Beethoven in this podcast is because in the podcast intro music is because they played Beethoven in one of the early season one episodes. And I, I really uh, liked the way that the, the songs sort of fit the, the show.
0: Same here. And when I hear the Beethoven, I think of two movies in addition to this series. I think of A Clockwork Orange, which used Beethoven rather prominently, and a movie I've never really seen, but I've heard talked about to no end, which is Die Hard, which is referenced a lot in this episode.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of sort of 80s uh, action tropes that were hinted at through this episode. Did you get that sense between the music and some of the the shot, the the angles, as well as the references?
0: I thought so, too. And, you know, because it's also set during, on Christmas Day, for that matter... And there's this endless debate about whether Die Hard, a movie I've actually never seen, but I know the debate. Is it a Christmas movie? Is it not a Christmas movie? I don't know if you've seen that film or where you stand on that debate.
1: Yeah, I have seen uh, the movie. And I mean, is it a Christmas film in the traditional sense of a Christmas film? Like It's a Wonderful Life or Home Alone? Obviously not. But to the extent that it takes place on Christmas and has become watched a lot on Christmas and has become identified over time with Christmas, sure, it's a Christmas film.
0: Yeah, I think that's where Sam Esmael also falls in terms of that discussion. So while Darlene is looking for Elliot, and again, this is all in silence, we see that... Krista and her boyfriend, Jason, the, the nerdy Jason, have plans. And so we see them making plans to hang out at Krista's family's house, or maybe they'll blow them off. And what, what really struck me with this scene, not much to really talk about, except that this episode really showed how much we don't really talk to each other very much anymore to communicate. We use text and all these sort of barriers to communication that really don't you don't really need to talk to somebody face to face anymore
1: yeah and the thing in the scene that caught my attention was the use of emojis by uh her uh, boyfriend you know the one where he has a gun pointing next to the emoji face with the eyes is crossed out you know i it struck me because it's such a clever use of emojis and for me most people don't use emojis that cleverly in uh in communications and i was just thinking about how much it's evolved like i remember when i was using twitter in like 2012 2013 i would use emojis in tweets and such but i felt a little self-conscious about it because no one really at the time was using a lot of emojis in their in their in their kind of textual communication and these emojis were something that it seemed like we were overlooked. Like a lot of people weren't using them. It wasn't something that was really heavily featured in, uh, written communication. And it seems like we've really come to accept emojis.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good yeah. point. And, uh, I know speaking for myself, my emoji game is pretty poor. I just, <laughs> my, my emoji game is much more impressionistic. So when I know I've texted you a million emojis where it's just like little chicklet butterfly and, <laughs> starburst. I use emojis to express sort of a general feeling, but it's true that they have become more prominent. And I read, I don't know if this is true, because I read this in the New York Post, but I read that Facebook is banning or is silencing the use of eggplant and peach emojis.
1: (laughs) That would be interesting if true, uh, this idea that somehow emojis would get banned. And that the idea that Uh, Artificial intelligence can be smart enough to understand the context in which an emoji is used to determine which one is inappropriate or not. I think that's a pretty uh, dangerous assumption to make.
0: I hear you. You know, I met somebody the other day who's working on a piece of software who they want to monitor kids' chat and who knows what else inside of different video games to measure whether they are uh, pro-social or into being good citizens, and I asked how they measured that, and you know the answer I got was interesting, and I wonder how successful it will be just in general. We cut back to Elliot and Darlene, and they are basically needing to break into the virtual reality uh, office on Christmas Day, and this is the beginning of the great silent hack, and the first thing they do is create an employee ID for Dolores Hayes, what do you think of Darlene's disguise and how this all unfolds in general?
1: While I was watching all of this unfold, I I had this thought that I wish that they had more scenes and episodes like this in the show. It kind of made me think about this alternative reality where Mr. Robot was a show that re- like that would re- repeatedly feature these sort of break-ins or hacks and what that would look like. Um, yeah, that's kind of the, the main thing I was thinking about was, oh, I, I like this. I wish the the show had done more of this.
0: Yeah, and they sure did the research to really figure out step by step what they needed to do to get into virtual reality. And, of course, the first is to create a bogus ID. In the meantime, Elliot seems pretty wrecked. Um, there were some really great overhead shots, which I love how Mr. Robot shoots from above. And you see people moving around like they're little Sims. <laughs>
1: We had talked about before in a prior podcast about how in this final season, different parts of the production crew might get more of a chance to express themselves, right? Where a certain episode might be like the writers or the assistant uh, directors taking the lead. And this episode really felt like an episode that featured camera work, like the director of photography and the uh, music department. Because I felt like a lot of the episodes really stylistically tilted towards interesting shots and interesting use of music.
0: There were some really amazing shots, both tight and claustrophobic. And then ones like this one in Elliot's apartment giving you a bird's eye view. And then these amazingly beautiful scenes of New York during Christmas time. When we're in Elliot's apartment, we see he's perusing the virtual realty site and trying to get some information on the security systems and it led me to believe that there's a lot you can discover about things that are meant to be top secret, like that are just out there on the internet. I find pitch decks all the time, by the way. It's you know, just stuff that's out there.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the the trouble with having things secured only by a link. Like there's always reports of things that were discoverable on AWS because nobody bothered to secure them and just left them there to be discovered if someone could stumble upon the URL. And you see this all the time with Google G Suite. One of the dangerous things about G Suite is how it allows things to be shared with anyone who has a link. And sometimes people are not very mindful about how they set up their permission sharing. So they just end up leaving things exposed to the outside world that are actually quite sensitive.
0: Yeah, I wonder how Fitbit users feel now that Fitbit has been acquired by Google and if they have any privacy concerns around their health data.
1: Yeah, it would be interesting to see what sort of safeguards, if any, Google commits to putting into place to prevent that. Uh, There was an interesting story maybe about a year ago about how a fitness app Revealed some top secret bases because people know it had this kind of interactive map that you could see where different users of the app had been recording their runs and people noticed that there were runs taking place in some remote regions of the world where it wasn't known that any sort of buildings or facilities existed and people surmised that it was military personnel who were using this app that were running in these areas.
0: Oh, that's just incredible. And to think that that information is out there and potentially even less private than it already was with the acquisition. I know I've shared with you before that I've talked with people who work at certain fitness monitor companies, and they can also tell basically (laughs) when people are having sex, they say, they can tell, like, don't wear your Fitbit if you're, you know, getting busy, <laughs> because apparently they can tell by spikes in, I don't know, what heart rate or something. I don't know if that's a, a urban legend or what have you, but I believe it.
1: Uh, yeah, Apple Watch wearers take note, right? Um, <laughs> it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if that's true. And then you actually start thinking about, well, if the algorithm algorithm is smart enough, wouldn't it just be able to imply that? make the, like, connect the dots that whenever you take the Fitbit or the Apple Watch off, that's when you're having sex, (laughs) right, over a certain period of time. It's going to say, okay, like, no sexual activity detected actively. Let's look at spots when we don't have any data where we can uh, assume that this is taking place.
0: So in the meantime, while Darlene and Elliot are sort of hacking, getting ready to break into virtual reality, we cut to this beautiful scene With poor, poor Philip Price having so many regrets and all by himself... And he's sitting by himself in this restaurant and there's this mural behind him of all these people having fun and socializing, but he's alone and he gets some mysterious instruction to give $28 to the trombone player outside of E Corp. And so Philip Price is sent off on this whole mission while he waits for Tyrell and realizes Tyrell's not going to come. I don't think he realizes why just yet. What did you think about this whole elaborate series of quests that Philip was sent on? Do you think it's why? Rose just toying with him
1: I my assumption is this is what's going to lead him to the meeting where the next ecourse CEO is going to be decided uh, and the meeting all the rich and powerful people who have to get together to, to do this that was my assumption
0: that's my assumption too and I think like a cat and mouse game white Rose is sort of dropping these little breadcrumbs if, if it has to happen to anyone it's it's got to be Philip price because I just I don't care what happens to him. Then we have the scene at Virtual Realty where we meet the security guard, the main security guard. I think this guy plays this role so well. He and his colleague, they're watching Die Hard, which is sort of a nice shout-out to that movie. And then it all unfolds where they set the timer exactly at 11. She tries to enter the building. Of course, the ID is not going to work. And then there's a series of events that unfold where Elliot manages to jump the barrier while she's distracting the guard who's helping her
1: yeah i i really liked uh the suspense and the music i thought the music especially was great and i liked how it was very synth heavy so it was kind of 80s evocative and then later in the chase scenes the music kind of became much more like nine inch nails trent Reznorish. but it started off with this interesting i think they were using like a roland to do the the music, and so uh, I appreciated this scene a lot.
0: And the reason that Elliot needs to get into the building while Darlene is distracting the guard is he needs to break into, I guess, the HR room so he can enter Darlene as an employee in the database. I love the break-in scene where this first one where Elliot takes out his laptop and he hacks into the electronic keypad which I've learned. I had an electronic lock in my last apartment and I was always told, don't leave your key next to the lock because somebody can hack in from the outside. I don't know how it works, but.
1: Interesting. And then you start to wonder, was a physical key really that bad?
0: I hear you. I would much rather have the physical key than the electronic key I had because one time I was locked out of my apartment. The lock on the door was run by a, just some regular batteries and the batteries died and I wasn't able to get into my my apartment. So, I like the old-fashioned keys.
1: I think it's important to be mindful of what new things that you adopt and you ask yourself are they worth, you know, using instead of what's existed before.
0: Yep. So in the meantime, Elliot creates Dolores Hayes as a new employee, which is Darlene's pseudonym. Darlene leaves her phone slyly by the guard, and he's, he's a good guy, and he fetches the phone for her, leaving his telltale fingerprint on the phone. Elliot, in the meantime, disables the cameras using CamSec Pro. So all pretty savvy. What do you think of it so far? Is this all—are you believing all this so far?
1: I mean, uh, in terms of the believable or unbelievable things in the episode, I think Elliot running for as long as he did was far more unbelievable than any of this part of it. Um, the This part of the episode just felt a lot like those sort of crime caper movies, uh, you know, which I like, like Ocean's Eleven or whatnot, where people are planning some sort of big heist and all these things have to go well and then inevitably something doesn't and the suspense becomes how they're going to handle that.
0: That's a good analogy. I can totally see the Ocean's Eleven element to it. And then we did come to the next scene, which is the one I had the hardest time sort of believing, although I thought it was really cool, which is how Darlene and Elliot managed to transfer the thumbprint of the guard into something that could be 3D printed as an impression. They were at this area where 3D printing happens, and it's called Kraftwerk, which is another... 80s shout out to the 80s band synth band i thought it was a little unbelievable but it was really cool to see how they did it
1: yeah it made me think about you know the future of this sort of stuff where you're able to replicate things very very quickly and how that will even change things like crime right i think that's the implication with physical keys is that if you're able to reproduce a physical object really really quickly then it becomes a lot less secure like if you hand over your keys to a car valet Uh, there's a certain analysis that's implicit in the arrangement where we assume that it's too difficult for any valet to reproduce all of the keys given to its possession to figure out what's going to be valuable or not but if in the future it's really easy to scan and duplicate any key then if you're a criminal uh, operation why wouldn't you want to have some access to like a valet service where you can just duplicate a ton of keys and then you know have that in a database somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good point. You know, that came up a few years ago when that guy um, sued for the right to be able to promulgate plans for 3D printing a gun. Do you remember that from a couple years ago?
1: Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, and it reminds me of the times where the U.S. government was trying to restrict I- encryption exports and people would print out a shirt that had encryp- an encryption algorithm on it and try to take a flight with it and get arrested to kind of prove a point. And I think that that's what this guy was also trying to do was kind of prove a point.
0: So in the meantime, there's another beautiful overhead shot of Philip Price walking to the trombone player to give him exactly $28, but it, there's that circular sort of structure. It's I know I've been there in New York. I've eaten in the restaurant that's near there, and for the, some reason I just can't place where it is. But I thought that was a beautiful shot. The trombone player. I just feel like everybody's in the dark army at this point. Everyone we encounter, uh, even maybe Krista's boyfriend, I'm like, is he in the dark army? Philip Price goes through the motions. And then we see Dominique sort of checking out the, the crime scene with the van. We see how she uh, notices the overhead traffic camera, which is a reminder of how much we really are observed so much in our society these days.
1: Yeah, something that kind of calls to mind the points raised in the Hong Kong protest about people tearing down these surveillance structures uh, because, you know, that something that has kind of been constructed without a lot of people noticing.
0: hmm mm-hmm. And it's been interesting to follow the Hong Kong protest to see how much the protesters have figured out ways to thwart facial recognition technology and to kind of disable the cameras it's been incredibly creative from what little I've managed to glean from everything that's going on there
1: yeah and it makes me wonder if there's going to be this a development of a certain culture that opposes the surveillance and these other techniques because if you read those cyberpunk novels like there's always some group that's very anti uh surveillance tech and kind of fights these oppressive corporate surveillance state that exists by subverting their systems of control. And so you wonder if what's going on in Hong Kong is sort of the real life birth or crystallization of a movement that tries to uh, attack and oppose this surveillance architecture.
0: It really is something that is being born there in other places and will definitely spread as we become more and more controlled through surveillance and in the meantime while that's going on Elliot is hacking or lock picking which is pretty cool the elevator which is just a fun scene he and Darlene go to a different floor where they print out a network access card I guess that's what it is for Darlene so that they can really get into the whole system the whole network infrastructure of
1: virtual realty Yeah, and markably fortuitous that all of these companies that enable their hack happen to be in the same building as their target company, right? It's like, oh, a 3D printing shop. Oh, it's here. (laughs) Markably convenient.
0: Totally not lost on me either. I mean, I was forgiving of it, but I was sort of feeling a little bit stretched in terms of how perfectly timed, how did they know where everything was, to go to and I mean I'm sure they rehearsed it and Darlene cased the place and Elliot did as well but it definitely left me with some, huh, head scratchers. And then I love the scene where Dominique manages to set up a VPN with this one police officer's computer, Meowy Christmas. The officer had this ringtone all about that bass, <laughs> that annoying song. And she just took it and distracted the officer by putting it in the box of cake or donuts. Dominique is pretty brilliant in a lot of ways. I mean, I guess she would be. She's an FBI agent.
1: (laughs) I think she has a pretty acute understanding of human beings and what they're driven by and how to manipulate them. So she's, she's also showing that Breaking in uh, to networks is not just about technology, but oftentimes just about social engineering.
0: I really like how this whole season has focused on the social engineering part of the equation for successfully hacking into systems and and hacking into people. Basically, the reason Dominique is doing this is because she's under orders from that weirdo Janice to make sure you monitor the red light camera reports. So she's getting deeper and deeper into trouble.
1: Yeah, but I what also came through to me was her uh, disquiet and dislike of what she's being asked to do. Like I feel like. It's engineering a breaking point where she's going to say enough is enough.
0: Yep. And there was this really great cut scene where Janice has stuck a knife into that taxidermied dog, little white dog, and then we cut to a crying baby Jesus where Krista is shopping for Christmas dinner, I guess, at home. And she's buying uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce Christmas stockings and... Not noticing she's getting cased by that woman in the red coat who I, I heard from another podcast, the Bald Mood podcast, that she's a rapper who's another singer they're casting in this role from New York. I would have noticed that person casing me. I don't know about you. Uh,
1: maybe. I mean, I think people, when they're out, are often really oblivious to the people around them.
0: Yep, yep. And we see Dominique gets a report from... One of her colleagues that Deegan McGuire, the human trafficker, has been released. So I definitely think he's going to appear in the next couple episodes. Do you think Darlene, I mean, Dominique is thinking about escaping and running away?
1: I think this might be the exit route for Elliot and maybe even Darlene to have their happier ever after, right? Like, it seems like in a lot of movies or series, like Dexter or some of the others, like there's this protagonist where they're kind of heading towards a destructive outcome and the audience is left wondering like are they going to survive like are they going to make it what's going to happen and it's always nice to have some sort of mechanism so that they survive the explosion they somehow get away they somehow have a chance for their happily ever after and maybe Deegan is what's going to be this for Elliot because he specializes in giving people new identities and such
0: I definitely would love to see them all escape unscathed or less scathed, if that's even a word, than they were. And I think from this point on, this is where the chase really starts to begin. This is where Lawler, the security guard discovers that something is amiss and that his fingerprint was used to enter the virtual reality server room. He tells his colleague who had gone off to take a break to call the cops and then there's this pretty tenuous almost video game like scene where the guard is looking for Elliot and Darlene or the interlopers in the server room and the lights are turned off.
1: It reminded me of one of these stealth video games where you know, you're like Thief or uh, some of these other games where you're, expect, you're trying to get to a certain goal and avoid detection. And the point is not to go in guns blazing, but it's really about avoidance and intelligence, which I guess is also how Die Hard was structured. Like it was one person who had to fight off an army and you had to do it by sneaking around.
0: Yeah, it definitely reminded me of all of those things. It reminded me of video games also where it's where their stealth or where you have to move around in the dark and you just have a light that shines on objects and you have to move around based on what you can see with the light, where the light is shining. And then Darlene and Elliot are able to make this mad escape down this maddening red staircase. And that was pretty cool too, I thought.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of uh, visually uh, interesting scenes throughout the whole chase thing from him, you know, exiting on the run, uh, it kind of reminded me at points of like Run Lolo Run. I don't know if you've seen that German film, uh, where yeah. you know, she <laughs> it's one long chase scene, and uh, she every time it seems like the action dies, like somehow turns out that she's got to keep running. And here Elliot with the cops, every time it seems like he gets away, uh, it, you know something happens. And the way that it all wraps up with him jumping to some sort of uncertain fate, like you don't know if it's water, you don't know what happened. And it turns out that Darlene's waiting at the bottom for him to get him in the car. Uh, I thought it was all pretty well done. Uh, But like I said earlier, the most unbelievable part of the episode to me, that he could run that long and that far without collapsing.
0: It's true. He only had that minor break on that bus where we saw that really cool scene of everyone dressed up as a character from a manger scene from um, the Christmas night, which is such a New York scene. I thought that was pretty unbelievable how much Elliot... Sustained so many injuries and he was already injured going into it right because of what he was dealing with with Tyrell and Mr. Robot were walking through the woods Um, another thing I didn't really buy as well is that Darlene was able to just leave the building in a different disguise with no problem that seemed remarkable
1: it was and it was because she pretended to be uh, you know coming from the fitness place downstairs (laughs) yes It seemed pretty uh, unbelievable that the police would not even like stop her, ask her if she's seen something, uh, and somehow, you know, spend a little bit of time talking to her. Seemed like a pretty glaring oversight. But again, this whole thing and whole scene seems to be one about suspension of disbelief.
0: Yep. And so Philip Price says to Elliot, I've just received the location. He got his tailoring from Murnau Cleaners, which is definitely a reference to F.W. Murnau, the filmmaker. Uh, Sam Esmail loves putting that stuff in there. Dominique, in the meantime, is taking the dog for a walk and realizes there are white vans everywhere just keeping tabs on what she's doing. So that must be really pretty scary for Dominique to realize she can't be anywhere without being tailed by the dark army.
1: And kind of in keeping in in theme with this whole like you can't hide theme of the of the show, right? It seems like there's a lot in here that sort of implies like you're being watched. There's nowhere that you can go that you're not going to be found. Both with uh, Elliot's doctor and other characters, it seems like it's all about being under surveillance.
0: Absolutely, and to that point, Dominique can't even enjoy Christmas she's told by Janice there's some new troublemakers I want you to look out for and lo and behold it's it's a picture of Elliot and Darlene in the car together after Elliot was picked up by Darlene after falling from a bridge I believe um probably I think close to Central Park I think my old neighborhood for that matter and uh and maybe that's the way that they'll come together, which is what I know you've been predicting all season.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Dom can reignite her intense crush of Darlene. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, you know, see if that results in uh, a hot kiss at some point, uh, some motivation for Dom to break away from the dark army. I think that's what's sort of being constructed, right? Is motivation to. Uh, motivation for your Dom to disobey the Dark Army and help Elliot and Darlene.
0: I think so too. And then we have the wild card where Krista is going back home with her her felt up and squeezed uh, bread rolls and her her Christmas stockings, and she sees that woman who was trailing her earlier in the in the very ostentatious and not difficult to not notice the red coat and then she comes across vera who's like we need to talk and that was the whole episode
1: and i think that's the cause where dominique darlene and elliot are going to unite for right is to rescue the doctor from vera to me that seems like what because it would to me it would be hard for elliot and darlene to convince dom just to help them take down Ecor or do something like this. But if they can enlist her help in something that she as an FBI agent feels no moral ambiguity about, it seems like that's the, the way that that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I really wasn't so excited to see Vera reintroduced into the story. Nothing against the actor, but I am really excited about it now because I think he's going to be this totally unpredictable element where White Rose tries to control everything, the way she had Philip Price dropping these breadcrumbs to go from one place to the next. Just a toy with him, I think, honestly. She even chose his suit for him for meeting with Deus Group, but I don't think anyone, including White Rose, could could account for Vera just suddenly being so fixated on Elliot.
1: And Vera could actually be the way in which White Rose is killed, or killed off. It seems like oftentimes in, when you have this you know, very sinister controlled character, and you have a character like Vera, who's a bit of a wild card, like the Gold, Gary Goldman character, that Gary Oldman character, that they somehow end up on a collision course with each other, and take each other out.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be delicious, and I really love uh, the way they have Vera dressed this season with that sort of fur vest or whatever that fur thing is. He looks like he just stepped uh, out of uh, Black Rock City at Burning Man.
1: yeah it has a sort of mad max slash like urban uh pimp uh aesthetic to it and can i just say that for uh for her to turn around and go back and get her chunky monkey instead of just going into the house is another area where i just think oh you know one of those situations like you see in horror movies where someone who's smart does something stupid like If anyone listening to this is ever in a situation where you see a suspicious person and you're getting into the house and you drop something out of your grocery bag, don't go for the item that fell out of your grocery bag. Just get in the house and lock the door. (laughs) If it's not anybody serious, you can always go back and get your stuff.
0: (laughs) Leave the chunky monkey behind. Save yourself.
1: Chunky monkey always gets people into trouble. You know, Whether it's a kidnap scenario or whether it's just in terms of diet, chunky monkey always dangerous.
0: <laughs> Chunky monkey. I know. Ice cream is my one of my weaknesses for sure. Well, I mean, that was the whole episode. I mean, do you have any thoughts or predictions or anything else that we should talk about while we're discussing episode five of the final season?
1: Well, what do you think episode six is going to be about?
0: Well, I know you've been really keeping track of the error codes to sort of predict where it's going. Have you taking a look at that? Because honestly, it could really go anywhere. I, I think the next one's going to be about the Deus group.
1: So 406 code is not acceptable. And so to me, you know, what's not going to be acceptable is what happens to the doctor and what Vera tries to do to the doctor. And I think it's going to be about Dom getting pulled in to a quest to somehow deal with the doctor while Elliot and Darlene are trying to execute their plan against White Rose. So all these different agendas and timetables are going to come together uh, on Christmas Day in a way that's going to result in a lot of unpredictable chaos.
0: Seriously, Merry Christmas. Do you think the doctor is going to live or die?
1: I think she's going to live. Um... Uh, I don't think Vera's going to live. I think he's going to meet his one, one, one way or the other.
0: Yeah, somebody's going to go, and it could be Vera. It probably won't be the doctor. Maybe it will eventually be Philip Price. Let's keep our fingers crossed there. I don't know, but we'll see soon. But I think that's a good guess. I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of action, both with this Deus group, which I hope they handle it well, because I don't really think that these sort of cabals ever really translate well to screen but we'll see I mean why did they all need to get together on Christmas of all days definitely think it's going to be pretty tense with Vera keeping Krista hostage and trying to ensnare Elliot that way for sure
1: the body count this season final season has been high with Angela you know uh, meeting her end Tyrell seemingly meeting his end although You know, I will say for the purposes of body count, I will count personas. So let's count him. We haven't seen Mr. Robot appear very prominently in this episode. So I think about 406 and whether we'll see Mr. Robot or any of other Elliot's other personas appear. And if somehow a discussion about his persona and its impact on his health is going to become a topic also.
0: Oh, yeah, because he has that more violent persona, which may come into play with the next episode, for sure. That's a good point.
1: Yeah, and you can imagine Vera getting access to Krista's files or somehow getting her to tell him about Elliot and somehow him being the vehicle where the audience learns about, you know, this other persona or personas uh, that Elliot has.
0: Why do you think Vera is so fixated on Elliot? Is it just because he sees crime galore possibilities with somebody with Elliot's mad skills?
1: That or maybe Elliot's other persona somehow has a reputation in the criminal underworld that Vera's interested in.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a smart criminal. I mean, there are a lot of dumb criminals, but Vera, for all of his flaws, seems to be able to move pieces around in his head, and and uh, he's a real operator,
1: I guess. But, that's, but this is also an 80s action film trope, is this malevolent character who becomes fixated on this seemingly insignificant protagonist, right? Where it's like uh, that movie, The Professional or Leon, where Gary Oldman's character becomes really obsessed with the daughter and this hitman and, you know, destroys his life in the pursuit of this, like, person. There's a lot of action films that are basically designed around this structure where it's like whether it's Schwarzenegger or Stallone or whatever action hero there is, like one person who somehow incurs the wrath of someone much more powerful but yet is not that that powerful criminal character is not able to do anything with them.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good point, good point. Do you have any? what would you rather for this week?
1: Yeah. so for a game, would you rather use a game controller or a keyboard and mouse?
0: Oh, I think a game controller because it just feels, more sort of natural at this point to use a game controller versus a keyboard and mouse? Because any game I would normally play with a keyboard and mouse, um, I would probably play with my mobile phone, but that's not taking into account Steam games, but I think a controller. How about you?
1: You know, I have, uh, you know, I came from the keyboard and mouse world, And a lot of the games I play tend to be really dependent on keyboard and mouse. Like some of my favorite games like Civilization are very keyboard and mouse driven. But I've been experimenting with Steam and trying to use Steam more and found that I prefer a controller. A lot of times because of the ergonomics of it. It's a lot easier for me to just hold a controller in my hand and do various things than it is to sit proper and use a keyboard and a mouse. And the other day I was reading something about Death Stranding, the new PS4 game that's getting a lot of buzz about how the the controller, they've used the, the built-in audio in the controller to have it emit a baby crying because there's a scene where the character is carrying around this baby that's in like a, a bubble and uh, and gamers were freaked out because all of a sudden their controller started wailing like a baby and it just made me think about how underutilized the controller is as a form of interface with games beyond just controls right
0: that's pretty wild
1: yeah and people and it was actually too effective like people turned off the sound because it was making them feel too anxious dealing with this crying baby literally in their hands as they're dealing with game stress it was just too much for people they had to turn it off but it it just occurs to me that you know it It's just an example of how we're just on the tip of the iceberg in terms of our interaction with these very immersive virtual environments.
0: I'm going to look that up because I want to learn more about that. I'm pretty fascinated by the whole use of audio and spatial audio, I guess they're calling it right now, some circles. Okay, so along the similar lines, I didn't really have one for this week, but now I'm inspired. What would you rather, um, Oculus So talking virtual reality, an Oculus device or PlayStation VR?
1: I've been considering this because I've been thinking about uh, whether or not I wanted to get a, a PC gaming rig and adapt it for VR also, or use something that Oculus has made as kind of like a standalone VR product. And Oculus has made really great strides with it's uh, devices, like they've released a couple of standalone devices that are getting pretty good reviews. And it's made me really consider the Oculus device. So I'd probably say Oculus at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, if this were last year, I would have said PlayStation VR. I think this year, I would would probably also agree Oculus, although Oculus is owned by Facebook. And if they can't be trusted to silence propagandists who are leveraging their platform for ill uh, on the Facebook. I mean, what's going to happen with Oculus and the Oculus experiences and the data that gets taken and measured there? But overall, as an experience, I think Oculus has done a pretty bang-up job.
1: Yeah, a couple months ago, I got the wrong Oculus device. I meant to get the Quest, but I ended up getting the Go. And I I got it set it up, tried it out a bit, and I've been experimenting with different consumer VR devices for the last few years. You know I've seen the different Google Daydream tr- uh, attempts, and then the, uh, the you know the different uh, Google initiatives to have VR become a more consumer friendly uh, experience. The Samsung attempts. I tried the early Oculus stuff. And the Go was much better than the Google Daydream, but it was still pretty limiting. The Oculus Quest, I haven't tried yet, but I've been very intrigued by it because it has spatial mapping and it seems uh, that you don't need a a computer and it's all self-contained. Have you seen this?
0: Yes, I have. It's pretty impressive.
1: The thing I didn't like about the Oculus experience when I was setting up the Go was having to link it with my Facebook account and then becoming aware of this being just another avenue for Facebook to get more data about me and what that might mean.
0: I hear you. I mean, Facebook just released Facebook dating. I think I might just create a dummy account because I'm curious how it works, but there is no way I want to even sign into that service because for the same reason. I mean, and the thing is with these VR devices, I mean, they they track so much, like they even track your eye movements, which can be used for all sorts of great things, but um, I mean, it goes down to that minutiae that is trackable and recordable.
1: Yeah, I mean, theoretically, Facebook can, has your location data, so they know kind of geographically where you are. And with something like the Quest, they know your movement within that very contained space. They know that you're taking X number of steps forward, you're turning your head right or left, you're moving your arms up or down. They're literally getting that level of precise data, data upon a person and they're physical responses and what that can imply about their mental and emotional state that's pretty amazing
0: yeah i agree well that was a fun what would you rather that was really pretty cool to learn about the game controllers and all that new functionality and for us to talk about vr and the virtual reality headsets and devices and what's coming down the line you know um, we're just at the beginning as you're saying. It's been a really great discussion. Is there anything else we should talk about before we wrap up for this week?
1: No, I I don't think so. I really enjoyed talking with you, Margaret.
0: Same here, Henry. I, I love doing this podcast with you. And I love that we have our listeners so engaged. And again, sorry, it took us a little while to get this episode out. But you know how it is, work, school, life, birth, death, taxes, the whole nine yards. Great chatting with you, Henry, and and I look forward to speaking with you soon about the next episode.
1: All right, and we'll get the next episode out soon, your listeners, thanks for your patience.